How are we doing, church? Doing good? All right. You look good. Grab your Bibles. I hope you brought it. Uh, if not, there's one a free one right in front of you. You can take that home with you. We are going to be in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Make your way there. We're in the fourth week of this series, Greater Than, that God is greater than our emotion. And, and specifically what we are talking about now is that God is greater than my anger. So I don't even really need an introduction. You know, uh, <clears throat> all of us have some anger issues, or at least you, you know someone who does. And um, it's funny because Gretchen and the kids are up in Virginia all week hanging out with the grandparents and doing fun stuff, and I warned them, be aware of the trains. They're coming, and so they, <clears throat> they know about that. But it's funny because Gretchen says, what are you teaching on this week? And I, and I said, well, I'm teaching on anger. And she said, you're, you're teaching on anger. <laughs> I said, yeah, babe. And she said, well, at least you we have a lot to talk about, right? And um, <clears throat> it's just true because I can't tell you how many times I get this question, what are you mad about? And I'm like, what do you mean, mad? I'm not mad. Why would you say that? And she's like, well, the way you look, I, go, I think that's just my face. I, I really do. I think that's just my face. And, and in reality, a guy that, that mentored me in ministry, he taught me early on, he said, as long as you, if you teach out of your weaknesses, then you will never run out of material, okay? And so this may not apply to you, and I am even, I'm going to share some stuff with you that's going to make you uncomfortable, but whatever. I might even just need to work out my own stuff right here in front of you, but here we go, all right? So... So we're going to be in, in Numbers uh, chapter 20, picking it up in verse 2. It says, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And by the way, this is about the fifth time that the people of Israel have come to Moses and Aaron and blamed them for what God told them to do and blamed them for what they begged God to do way back in Exodus. Verse 6, and then Moses and Aaron, they went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Now, just so you know, just for a little context, <clears throat> this is not the first time that this has happened. If you go back to Exodus chapter 17, the people had the same complaint the same excuse. They're like, why'd you bring us out here? If he wanted us to die, they'd just kill us in Egypt. I don't know, you brought us out here to die, and we're thirsty. And God told Moses very specific, specifically in Exodus 17, take your staff, go to the rock, and smack the rock, and then water's going to flow. And it worked, and the people drank, and it was awesome. And so now this time, round two, when Moses goes before God, God says, similar but not exactly the same, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So it, it seems like a minor little thing, but apparently it's kind of a big deal. Verse 9, and so Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded. Verse 10, and then Moses and Aaron they gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, and you can hear the anger in these words, hear now, you rebels. And, and the Hebrew... The, the English translation of that Hebrew word, like rebel, doesn't sound like that big a deal. But, but he is like cursing their soul. 
that you have rebelled against the Almighty God, and would you just shut your face, and you want some water? I got your water. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. He says, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of the rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock, and he struck it again. He struck it twice. Bam, bam, right? And you know he's like, I've got your water. I I added that, but you've got to believe that that's what happened. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And you know Moses is like, see, verse 12, and then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me, as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Mirabah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So, essentially, Moses goes before the Lord about these complaining people, and instead of doing exactly what God says and speaking to the rock, he goes, and in his anger, and in his anger, He cusses them, and then he explodes, and he takes matters into his own hand, and he's disobedient to God, and he bangs on that rock. And then he's probably like, what? And then God says, I'll tell you what, uh, you don't get to go into the promised land. I mean, he's faithfully crossed the Red Sea. He went eyeball to eyeball with Pharaoh. He talked to God in a burning bush. He's been in the tent of meeting. But in his disobedience right here, he is held out of the promised land. So I typically don't teach the Bible this way, but this is how we're doing it this time. I got four things I want to talk to you about anger. Four things about anger. Number one, your circumstances are no excuse. Your circumstances are no excuse to explode in anger. And in our culture, we think that that, that anger is something that happens to us. But the reality is, is anger does not happen to you, anger happens in you. And one of the excuses is, that's just how I am. That's just how I'm wired. That's just how I talk. Well, I was raised in a family where we screamed and yelled at each other. Well, that is no excuse. Because the reality is, is in the previous like 10 or so chapters, Moses has a lot going on, okay? I mean, the people continue to complain over and over and over again that Aaron, his brother, and Miriam, his sister, they oppose him at one point and say, who, who, why do you think you're the man of God? And he's like, because God told me I'm the man of God, right? That's why. And they're upset about that. That Israel is defeated in battle at the end of what we were talking about last week. Israel's like, well, we got this. And God says, you ain't got this. And they go out and they're totally defeated in battle. That there's this thing called the Korah Rebellion. 250 chiefs rise up against Moses and he has to go toe-to-toe with the people that he's been given his life for. And at the very beginning of chapter 20, his sister dies. And all of that's going on. And right on the heels of his sister dying, the people come and be like, what is wrong with you, Moses, that you would leave us out here and we don't even have water to drink? And he's like, I got your water. And he takes that staff and he bangs that rock. But here's, here's what we know, man, based on what happened, is that, is that your circumstances are not an excuse. See, again, anger is not something that happens to you. It's something that happens in you. All of us, all of us will say this. We'll say, oh, you make me so angry. That's impossible. I can't make you anything. But you have to own that. That anger is not something that something somebody else does to you. But anger is something that comes out from within you. I've used this illustration a hundred million times, okay? If I shake this water bottle, what comes out? Everybody's cautious. They're like, "Uh, Jesus? I think it's Jesus. (laughs) We're in church. You say Jesus a lot. I'm going with Jesus. Glory. No. Water comes out. 
Not because I shook it, but because there's water in it. And so what spews out of you is what's in here. And so if anger spews out, then anger's in here. And it was just those conditions that helped reveal what was really in here. And I can tell you, you put me in the wrong conditions and it reveals there's some wrong stuff in here. And our conditions, our circumstances are no excuse. I don't care how you were raised. I mean, I care, but that is no excuse. The way you were raised, the, your genetic makeup, I just have a loud voice. No, man, you're angry. Relax. You know, people can't make you do anything. You have, that's just, that's just in you. <clears throat> Secondly, this is a big one. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but Christians, we need to hear this. God will not bless the unrighteous pursuit of a righteous end. You see, Moses was told very specifically how to get water out of the rock. And a lot of times what we do, we'll, see, we'll say, hey, I know I didn't do it the way God said do it, but look, water's coming out of the rock. It doesn't matter, right? Let me tell you where we do it real quick. We mistreat people that we disagree with, and sin will never solve sin. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. So you've got some kind of political issue that's on the other side of Scripture. There are a host of those right now, okay? Mistreating those people, God will never bless an unrighteous pursuit of a righteous end. Because in God's economy, um, <clears throat> the ends don't justify the means. In God's economy, the ends are the, the means. That's it. Like, the, the, what you do is what he's judging. And so, I mean, you think about, I hope this doesn't happen anymore. I haven't heard of it recently. But, you know, if you go back to where people in the name of Jesus were bombing abortion clinics, what? God will never, ever, ever bless an unrighteous pursuit, even if what the I mean, that was just crazy. But the mistreatment of people somehow in God's name. Sin will never cover sin. Only love covers a multitude of sin. And so, obedience matters. Obedience matters. The third thing is this. And, and this is where we'll spend a little time. That acting out in disobedient angers carries with it consequences. That acting out in disobedient anger carries with it consequences. And how many of us, I mean, honestly, how many of us have said something like this? Oh, baby, you can't hold a letter against me. I was just mad. Like, I didn't mean that. I was just angry. You know? I mean, it's just true. <clears throat> and the reality is, man, when you lose your temper, you always lose. When you lose your temper, you always lose. And there was a time in our culture where psychologists told people, you need to express your anger and you need to get it out. The problem is, when you tell little Johnny, hey, if you're mad, just kick the toys. The problem is, he grows up to be a grown man that's still kicking the toys and his kids and the dog and his wife. And, and, and people used to think, well, you know, it's like a, you got a bucket of anger, and if you can just pour it out, then you'll, you'll empty that bucket of anger and it'll be okay. The problem is, you and I don't have a bucket of anger. We've got an anger factory going on, and the more you pour out, the more it produces. That anger can produce anger. But acting out in disobedient, explosive kind of anger, it carries with it consequences every single time. And again, we will try to be defensive and say, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. See, I didn't mean that. I was just angry. I didn't mean what I did. I was just angry. You can't hold it against me. I was just angry. It's not my fault. It's really the anger's fault. Again, anger's not something that happens to you. Anger's ha something happening in you. In fact, <clears throat> even in our legal system, I think this is weird. There's probably great reasons because... People a lot smarter with me than me come up with these kind of laws. But there, there is a, you know, there's a difference between first-degree murder and second-degree murder. 
that first-degree murder carries with it longer penalties, and that's premeditated murder versus a crime of passion where anger burns in you and you murder somebody. And we say uh, first-degree is worse than the other. Here's what I would say, though. If you ask the guy that was murdered, I bet he would go, no, it's kind of the same. I think it's pretty much the same, which is just true. Because the reality is... um, You know, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So we have no excuse just to explode in anger, especially if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God living in you. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And here's how I know that I know that I know that you can control your anger. And, you, and I know you're like, well, you don't know me. Well, you don't know me. Listen, I'm telling you, every single one of us can control our anger. And here's how I know. I have empirical evidence against you that you have the ability, no matter how heated up you are, to control your anger. Because there has been a time in the last year, especially if you're a parent and married, that you have been in your house and you've been losing it. I mean, exploding. Just spewing anger all over the place. And you kids, and I can't believe you, and you don't appreciate nothing, and you don't ever do anything around this house and leave your underwear all over the floor, and I don't even, can't put a ring. Hello? Hey! How are you? Oh, uh, we were just talking to the kids. You know those kids? Yeah, come over. It's a great time. Bye. And you're like, should I call you on the phone? Because phone you is way nicer than face-to-face you. We all do that. Tell me I'm lying. You see? So that kind of spewing is a learned behavior. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And the reality is, Jesus says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes, man, we just think because I'm angry, I'm just taking the filter off. And the Bible says that careless words stab like a sword. You get that? Careless words stab like a sword like a sword. And you think, well, I don't care what I'm saying. I'm just saying it because my emotions are raw and I'm going to explode in anger. And here we go. You deserve this. You made me do this. And then you just, we start just spitting swords. You know how many times I've had to apologize for careless words? Careless. The opposite of that is careful words, right? And I was not careful with my words. I was careless with my words. And listen, Christian, just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for the building up of the needs of the hearer. It doesn't say only that which is true, because you can say some damaging true things. Your wife come out and be like, These pants may be a little big. Like, uh, okay. You only speak what is helpful. That will not help you, brother. Honesty is not always the best policy, okay? That is not a Bible verse, all right? So, the Bible says that your words have the power of life and death. That's how important they are. I can just tell you right now, some of you are in a dead relationship because you killed it with your words. You killed it. Now, God is in the miracle business. He can resurrect dead things, all right? See Easter. It's kind of the main point. He's into resurrecting dead things. But our careless words stab like a sword. I've used this illustration before, but if I came out here with my sword and was careless with it, because I have a sword, I have two, 
And if I was careless with it and it slipped out of my hand and it bravehearted all the way, even to the back where you think you're safe, and it just stuck you all the way through through your seat, you'd be like, ah, we're going to be on the news tonight, right? (laughs) But if I was like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean to. It slipped, so it shouldn't hurt. It just slipped. You'd be like, um, it still hurts. It still hurts. Like the attention is really irrelevant. One time in a moment of brilliance, Gretchen, and as we were discussing things, <laughs> I was telling her, no, 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 baby, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And she's like, but it still hurts. I was like, ah, oh, but it shouldn't because that's not what I meant. And she said, well, listen, if you, if you were to back over my foot in your truck leaving one day, and you broke my foot, but then you hopped out and said, oh, but I didn't mean to. My foot wouldn't just be like, oh, okay, don't worry about it. It feels better now. No, it would still hurt. Sometimes we are so careless with our words. You realize that the comments that you leave on people's Facebook, on their page, is actually connected to a person on the other side of that. Be careful with your words. When you are talking with your spouse and when you are talking with your children, Oh my goodness, I'm so guilty of this that I don't know what it is, man. Just something kind of snapping me, and I'm like, Moses, I'm like, I got your, you know, Capri Sun here. <laughs> Just rah, crazy. Say some kind of things, because here's the reality. If I were, if I did do the sword thing in here and just, oops, sorry, and it stuck a guy, we would all remember that, wouldn't we? You would remember what, you know, exactly what happened. Were you at church that day when the guy, the bald-headed guy, remember he used to be a preacher, I haven't heard from him in a while, and he stabbed a guy? <clears throat> You'd remember the events. <clears throat> Imagine if you were the guy that got stabbed. You would never forget that for the rest of your life. You would remember exactly where you were. You would have learned a lesson, pay attention in church, right? Don't nod off. Next week, everybody would be like, whew, we are not, Okay. But sometimes when we hurt people with our words in our anger, we're careless with our words in our anger, we just expect people to just get over it in a minute. A careless word stabbed like a sword. A stabbing is an event. It happens right now. Boom, you got stabbed. That's what words do. I mean, you got stabbed. In fact, even as I'm saying them right now, some of you can go back in your childhood to that moment when that coach or your mama or your daddy They said some words, and it stabbed you in your heart, and you still have scars to prove it. I mean, you could describe it right this second. You could remember what it smelled like in that room, in that classroom, when that teacher called you an idiot, or when somebody got mad at you and said, cussed you in such a way, and you were like, it was a stabbing. The Bible says careless words stab like a sword, but wise words lead to healing. You know what? Healing takes a long time, doesn't it? I mean, you can be cut in just a second. And it just takes a long time of care for that thing to heal up. And no matter how good it heals up, there's always a scar. And that's what, that's what words spoken in anger are like. And so, acting out in disobedient anger carries its consequences. Because the reality of it is, is some, I've, I mean, I've had people tell me this. Hey, listen, <clears throat> I just got to get it off my chest. Because when I get it off my chest, then I feel so much better. The problem is nobody else does. Everybody else is walking around wounded, bleeding, 
body parts lopped off, and you're like, whoo, I feel better. And everybody else is scarred and wounded and scared, intimidated. I mean, you know, you lead that kind of life, you blow up in anger, especially with your mouth, you're going to have a household, especially dads. If that's how you roll, you're like, you know what, i got a tough life, i got a lot going on, and you know, I just come home, and you, and you do that kind of stuff. You're creating the kind of environment in your home where your wife and your children are playing like dad roulette. They're like, oh, come on. It's like they're spinning the wheel of fortune. Come on, give me happy, give me happy, happy, happy. Please, when you're driving up, they're looking out in the window going, oh, what's he look like? Does he look good mood or bad mood? I don't know. <sighs> you realize that? You know what, dads? We were... We were given the, the job that Adam had is to subdue and cultivate. We we're supposed to cultivate the kind of environment whereby the people who are entrusted under our authority are to flourish. You want to kill that? Then you pop off in anger, especially with your words, or God forbid, you're violent with your hands. So acting out in disobedient anger carries with it consequences that go on and on and on. You see, here's the point. <clears throat> Before I get to the fourth one, here's the point. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And it explains why I said acting out in disobedient anger. Because apparently there's a version of obedient anger. We'll talk about that in a second. The point is this. Be angry and do not sin. That's what the Bible says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So there's a lot in this verse. And so, I want to unpack a little bit. The Bible commands us to be angry. You get this? So, to never be angry is not godly. Apathy is not godly. There are some things we, as children of God, as men and women of God, as followers of Jesus, that should anger us. When we have reason to be angry and we are not angry, that is a sin, just like when we are angry and we do not have reason to be angry. I hope and I pray that this kind of this church, that 1122 is the kind of church that gets angry about the kind of things that, that anger God, like injustice and the fact that <clears throat> there are starving children all over the world, those sorts of things, okay? But we are commanded to be angry. And in fact, apathy is not godly because people in the Bible got very, very ang- angry. Paul, in the book of Galatians, was so angry. This is going to make you read Galatians tonight. That, that Paul, in the book of Galatians, was so angry because the Judaizers had moved into this gospel-centered church, and they were teaching that unless you get circumcised, then you could not be saved. And so Paul says, I tell you what, Judaizers, the next time you're circumcised, why don't you just castrate yourself and cut the whole thing off? That's, the, that's Bible verses. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you are like, what is in the Bible? you got to read your Bibles. That's anger. That's anger because he's protecting the precious children of God that are being being taught by wolves that it's their works that save them. Or Jesus got angry at the right things. I mean, there's there's an account of Jesus, maybe you know this, that he goes into the temple and the religious people or the money changers, they were taking advantage of the poor in the name of God. So people would come to the temple from a long way off and they would have to make a sacrifice. And so instead of like dragging a goat all the way from wherever they were, then they would just say, I tell you what, when we get to the temple, we can buy a goat there, all right? And they would, they would overcharge them like crazy and make money off of the worship of God. 
It's sort of like when you go to Disney and you get a Coke and they're like, $9. And you're like, what'd you put in my Coke? All right? It's just regular Coke for $9? Never had a $9 Coke. Tastes like Coke. All right? Okay? So Jesus comes into the temple and he sees this going on and he says, you have turned the house of prayer into a den of robbers. And the Old Testament prophesied that, that Jesus, the Messiah, would be zealous for the house of God. And so the Bible says that he makes a whip. You think that's angry? So, I mean, think about this. He walks in and he's like, what in the name of me is going on here? <laughs> and he walks off. And I think, I think his disciples are like, man, he looks mad. Jesus, what you doing? He, and he's making a whip. Oh, I'm about to show you what I'm doing. And the Bible says he comes back in and he, with the whip, drives them all out and flips over tables and stuff. Now, was he angry? Yes. Did he sin? Never once. Now, there's a few things there, too. One, he did not react to the situation. He responded biblically. So he didn't just automatically start karate chopping people. I don't know how long it takes to make a whip. I know how long it takes to, like, whip your belt out, all right? I've seen that often. But he took whatever time it takes to go and make a whip. I imagine he was quick. But he took time, and then, and then he kicked the folks out. And then one other thing I'll say, I don't know that we get the right to do that because he is God, and the vengeance is his. So I don't think that's, that's you know, just, hey, go start whipping people. But Jesus, <coughs> Jesus got angry and never, and never sinned. So the Bible says, be angry. So there is a kind of anger that is not sin. A lot of theologians now call that righteous anger. I don't necessarily love the word righteous anger. Um, I get what they're saying, but... But they say it's like righteous anger reacts against actual sin. Not against personal preferences, but against precepts of God. And, and righteous anger, or godly anger, wants to crush the sin, not the sinner. That's different. So like when your teenager is acting like an idiot, you don't love actually can make you angry. And not at your teenager, but at the stupid things they're doing. And you want to crush the idiocy that lives within your teenager in order to preserve your teenager. And here's the example. It's Jesus on the cross. He crushes sin and spares the sinner. So, so righteous anger reacts against actual sin. Righteous anger focuses on God and his kingdom and God's rights and God's concerns. It does not focus on me and my kingdom and my rights and my concerns. This part may make you uncomfortable. So, <clears throat> you know, anger is something I deal with. There are, there are times where I have been angry in a disobedient way. And not awesome. I've told you this before. I won't spend the whole time on the story. But one time, Gretchen and I were riding down JTB and we're talking. I'm like, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Why are you looking out the window? I'm fine. Well, you don't act fine. You know, that kind of thing. I'm just... And then at one point, I get angry and I said, I can't handle this. And I punched the steering wheel of my truck. Because, you know, I'm tough and it won't fight back. All right. Total sin. Because it's, it's explosive kind of anger. And I hit it, and my horn went, and got stuck. And it was just God going, sinner. And then we pull up. At, you know, we're getting off JTB to go to our house, and we, and we pull up, and there's a red light, and I, the horn's just, and the guy's going, dude, what's up, man? It's red. And I'm like, well, I was, you know what, I was kind of mad, I punched the steering wheel, but you know what, if you want something, I mean, it was just not good, okay? <laughs> so there's that. But then there's other times where I, I you know, I got angry and acted in such a way that, that I hope God's good with, I'm, I'm good with it. One time we were at, at a, like a, we were at Freebirds, all right? And there was um, Switchfoot, that band that's kind of 
like sort of Christian, and, but they play on the radio, you know, that thing. And, and so we're there to hear the one song that I've ever heard. And, and it's this weird mix of youth groups and drunk people, you know what I mean? And so, but I fit right in. That's my group, right? All right, sweet. So my people on both sides, here we are. All right, so we're, uh, we're walking down the steps, and there's this little kind of landing thing, and we're trying to see the one song that I know, and this drunk guy just barrels into my wife, and it says, excuse you, and called her a word that rhymes with witch, okay? And so I'm right there, and he's just like, like bowing up on her, and so... I was stirred. <laughs> I grabbed him by the head a little bit, applied pressure, allowed him the opportunity to say he was sorry, by which he did, and then I cast him out like a demon. Okay, that's what I did. <laughs> so, sure. and I would do it again. And if you call my wife that, I'll do it to you. That's just how it goes, okay? <clears throat> the biblical definition of love is provide and protect, provide and protect. That does not happen in my presence to my wife. She will sit in the shade of my apple tree all the days of her life, okay? So that's just how it goes. So here's the difference. In the, in the second one, the dude in the bar, where I cast him out, you know, into a pig, then uh, <laughs> legitimately, I was stirred to anger because she was being mistreated, and I really was protecting her at my expense. I mean, I don't know who I'm grabbing onto. That dude might punch me. Worth it. Worth it to protect her. Or they might get me, take me to jail. Worth it to protect my wife. Get it? I'm protecting her at my expense. But we're in the truck. You know what I'm doing? I'm protecting me and my ego at her expense. That's the difference. And when anger moves you to action and you're protecting you, and you're protecting your own ego because you're offended and that moves you to explosive action is sin every single time. So righteous anger <coughs> focuses on God and his kingdom, not me and mine. Righteous anger is accompanied by other godly qualities like self-control. And so unchecked aggression is not godly. Unchecked aggression is not godly. So when the Bible says, be angry and do not sin, I think here's what it means. It does not mean no anger. There are some things that we should get angry at. Apathy is not godly. Apathy is the opposite of love. It is the ultimate form of hate. Like, whatever, I don't care. It has nothing to do with the heartbeat of God. So it's not no anger, nor is it explode anger, where you grab that staff and you say, you rebels, and you start banging on that rock when you were told to speak to that rock. It's not explode anger, but it's slow to anger. In seven different books of the Bible, the Bible tells us that God is slow to anger. So Ephesians says, be angry and don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Some translations say, um, do not make room for the devil. Or some of the, some of the um, variations of translations will say, <clears throat> do not allow a wedge for the devil. And that, that Greek word is, is topos. And the way I would remember it when we had to memorize Greek in seminary is it has toe in it at the beginning. And I would think about when, um, when I was growing up with my younger brother when he was younger and not the commander of the SWAT team in St. John's County and I could whip him. Those days are long gone, all right, because he would arrest me and tase me and pepper spray me and probably make up for all the days that I abused him. But <clears throat> so he would do something, and he would kind of egg me on, and he'd really ask for it, which makes a lot of sense of why he's a cop now. And he would do something, and then I would come after him in our house. And, and, and here's what he knew. I'm, I'm three and a half years older than him. Here's what he knew. If he could get into his room and get his door shut, then no matter what I did, save kick down the door, which then it'd be me and my daddy. I wasn't going to do that. Then he knew he was safe, okay? There was no room for me if he could get his door shut. But here's what I knew. I did not have to beat him into the room. All I had to do when he made it into the room and started to shut that door, if I could just, boom, just get my toe in there, 
It didn't matter if I got my whole foot, my quad, my leg, and everything, then I could get in quick. But if I just got to where it would not shut, you know what I mean. Every big brother, can you testify with me? Did you ever do the toe jam move? All right, to wedge your way into the butt whipping that was about to happen? Yeah, okay, so, boom. Because no matter how hard he tried and how hard he fought, man, I could wiggle, 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 eventually get an E in there. <laughs> and eventually, man, I'd be like, <laughs> you know. Here's Johnny, that kind of thing. So, <clears throat> so what Ephesians says is when you're angry, that's cool to be angry, no, you know, at the right things, appropriately, slow to anger. Not no anger, not explode anger, but slow to anger. And don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, reconcile, forgive. Because if you don't, what that anger in your heart will do is going to drive that little wedge. And it might be the tiniest little wedge. I mean, the itsy bitsiest little tiny wedge. And it's the devil's way. The devil's got his toe in there. He's like, I got, I got a chance. And he'll start wiggling. And that unforgiveness will one day grow into bitterness. It can grow into hate. It can grow into ultimately just apathy of just, I, I don't even care about you. That, that's what it is. And so really anger, I'll tell you what anger is. We'll spend, at the end of it, we're going to talk about this. Anger's really rooted in this. I'm not getting what I want. And then when we don't get what we want, we say, well, you know what? Since I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to take hold of the circumstances. I'm going to control this situation. Because really, anger is deeply rooted in idolatry. Anger is rooted in this. That my God has been offended, and my God is me, because I am not getting what I want. That's what it is. And that's how the enemy begins to work his way in. So I can tell you, an action step, today, before this day is over, before you go to bed tonight, do not pass go, do not pass... Do not collect $200. That if there's a wedge in any relationship, particularly married folks, let me just tell you, here's, here's how you can root that thing out. I mean, before you go to bed tonight, you say this. You just say, hey, I'm sorry. And listen, husbands, you should go first. You should, regardless. Because I'll tell you what, when you fight, let me tell you this, husbands. This is just for free. But when you fight, you can either be right or you can be the husband. Those are your options. Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When he came and died on the cross, he did not choose to be right. He chose to be the Savior. See the difference? He could have been right. He'd be like, I ain't sin, you sin. You're going to hell, peace, I'm back to heaven, all right? See you, never, all right? That's what he could have done. But he didn't. He gets on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He took responsibility for things that were not his fault. And so, so, before you go to bed tonight, you could say, I'm sorry. And listen, if he says that, don't go, about what? Oh, goodness gracious, all right? Because what you're doing is you're stirring it up. Here's what you say back. You go, me too. Me too. And, if, and essentially what you do is you shut the door. You, shut, you slam that door shut and cut off Satan's toe, and you're like, you ain't coming in here, okay? So, <clears throat> be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So the first one is this, <clears throat> that your circumstances are not an excuse. The second one is God will not bless an unrighteous pursuit of a righteous end. The third one is acting out in disobedient anger carries with it consequences. And the fourth one is this, is the way to handle anger is to trust God. The way to ha handle anger is to trust God, not take matters into your own hands. Now you've got to stay with me here, all right? But Church of 1122, you're a smart crowd. You've got this. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, 
Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written that vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And when you take anger into your own hands and begin to enact vengeance, what you're saying is, God, you're failing, so i got to do this. And God says, don't ever do that. The vengeance is His. So what Moses did, <clears throat> track with me here, what Moses did in the wilderness is he got angry at the people. And he had all kinds of circumstances going around. His sister just died and people were rebelling against him and these people won't quit complaining. And so he takes the staff and instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock. Now let me tell you why this is so significant. You know how in the Scriptures I always say that Everything that happens in the Bible from the very beginning to the very end, it all points to one thing, and his name is Jesus. The whole thing points to Christ. No matter what, it all points to Christ. Well, it's not just me that thought that. Paul also thought that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, I can't read you the whole context, but he's talking about where we are right now in Numbers. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul says this, And all... And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So what he's saying is that rock that Moses hit out in the desert, that was, a, that was an image, that was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> if you look at it, here's why this is important. In Exodus chapter 17, the people cry out because they are in need and they are thirsty. And God says to Moses, take the staff, go into the desert, and strike the rock. And when you strike the rock... Out of it will flow drink that they need. Paul says that's spiritual drink. We would know this as wretched black-hearted sinners in need of God's grace and mercy that Jesus Christ, the rock, comes to earth, He's put on the cross, and He is struck. And when He's struck at the cross, that what flowed out of Him was grace and mercy and forgiveness that is sufficient for, the, for us for the rest of our days. So then when the second, the second time they get to this, and, and they come up and they say, hey, we're thirsty. And, and God says to Moses, essentially, you don't have to strike the rock anymore. He has been, he, he's, he's been struck before. So now all you have to do is you've got to go talk to it. You just talk to it. And if you'll just talk to the rock, then grace and mercy will flow. And, and what Moses does is go, that's not enough. I've got to take matters into my own hands. I do not believe that when the rock was struck that that counted for me, that that was enough. I've got to do it again. I've got to do it on my own. It is a picture of works-based righteousness, that what Christ did on the cross was not enough, so let me do some good to help you out, God, to achieve what I need, which is this flowing water for them, which is spiritual drink for us, which is grace and mercy. I hope you're beginning to connect the points here. And so God says, okay, the reason, the reason that you're not going in because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people but Moses, you were trying to do this on your own. And in your anger, you took control of your own situation, which is evidence that you don't trust that I can. James chapter 4, my favorite passage on, on anger, says this. <clears throat> what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In other words, why are you so mad? Why are you so mad? If I were to ask you that, what makes you angry? There's not a person in here that would say, me. There's something in here that makes me angry. No, the way we would all answer that is, well, you know what? When they do this to me or traffic or my boss or those people or whatever it is, this, whatever this thing is, you would always say, that thing out there makes me angry. So James says, man, why you, what's wrong with you? Why are you mad? What causes quarrels and fights? <clears throat> is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
He's echoing what Jesus said. Hey, it's coming out of the heart. It's in here. You desire and you don't have. You know why you're angry? You want something and you don't get it. Every single one of us. You know why I get angry? I want something and I don't get it. It's idolatry in my own life. You are offending my idol and my idol is me. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You're like, well, that escalated quickly. Yeah. Remember Jesus said when you're angry at your brother, then you've murdered him. It says you covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Moses was just supposed to talk to the rock and God would give him what he was looking for. Essentially, a part of what James is saying, hey, you know why you're so mad? You know why you're so angry? You know why you can't forgive? Because you haven't taken it to God. You haven't prayed about it. That's where a lot of people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa now, Pastor. I have prayed about it. But God, <laughs> essentially, is saying, not really. I mean, not really. Because I saw what you were saying to her. You were like, you never and I always, and I, and I ain't going to take this anymore. Bang. All right, like that. And then, but I prayed about it, because then when we pray, we come up to the altar and we're like, dear Father, please help me with my spouse. And I think God's like, you're not even being serious, man. Like, you got these passions that rage within you. I tell you what, Hoss, bring it to me. I mean, speak to me. Bring it to me. Peter would say, cast all your cares upon me, because I care for you. I've taught you this before. When you would cast, you ever throw a cast net? You don't, that's not how you do it. You cast it, oh, like that. Yeah, when the Bible talks about casting, it would talk about um, Jesus would cast demons out. He'd go to these demons and he would chunk them into some pigs. He didn't go to the demons and say, um, hey, listen, I'm going to send you an Outlook calendar request. And if you don't mind, could you, sometimes, man, we get angry and we get all emotional. And, and God's saying, Hey, the reason you don't have is you don't ask. But no, I ask. Like, no, you didn't really ask. I mean, bring it. Like, seek and knock and search and come on and bring it. God will not be offended. You cannot offend God with your prayer. There needs to be a whole lot more rated R prayers at the church of 1122. You don't believe me? Read the whole book of Psalms. I mean, Psalms is, is essentially, the majority of it is David crying out to God, my God, my God, where are you? People encircle me and ensnare me. And, I, and at one point, he's like, why don't you bash their heads in? You never hear a worship song on that, do you? <laughs> Dear God, crush our enemy. You know, no. <clears throat> but that's what he prays, and guess what David's called? A man after God's own heart. You know why? It's because he was seeking after the heart of God. He was saying, God... I need help. So you have not because you don't ask. <clears throat> you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You're really praying for you and about them instead of praying for them. You adulterous people. You don't, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, in your anger, do not handle this the way the world handles this. We have a different way to handle this. The way we handle this is not exploding in our anger or having no anger and being apathetic. The way we handle this is we're slow to anger and we move towards God, not away from Him. We go to Him and ask. <clears throat> Verse 5, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? You have access to God because He's living in you if you're a follower of Jesus. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. You know what the proud say? The proud's like, God, I don't need you. I got this. 
I'm angry, and I'm going to do something about it. And God says, I'm not on your team when you do that. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble say, God, I, I need help. God, I got these emotions, and I get angry, and I probably don't even have reason. My ego's bruised, and I just blow off and rah, blow up and go off at the handle, and I'm careless with my words. And God, I need help. That's what that's what humble is. And God gives grace to the humble. And in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, because remember he's trying to get his toe in there. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This verse is in the context of what causes fights and quarrels among you. The passions that stir within you. You want something and you don't get it. And you don't have it because you don't ask. And then draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Do you see the answer here? How do you handle anger? Because you're going to be angry. Don't sin in your anger. How do I do that? You draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your thoughts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. So here's what you do with your anger. Let me just ask you this. One, who do you need to forgive? I mean, that's it. If you're angry, who do you need to forgive? And the way that you forgive is you cancel that debt because Christ canceled your debt. Who is that? Who are you angry at? Why are you so mad? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Who do you need to forgive? And you're like, ah, but you don't understand. I know. I don't understand your situation. Christ does. All of our sin, all of our anger, all of the wrath of God was heaped upon him at the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if you're withholding forgiveness, it's probably because you've never experienced the forgiveness of Christ. You ain't given it, you ain't got it. It's not good English, it's great theology. That's just true. And then, right now, at the end of this service, let me just ask you this. So what do you need to bring to Jesus? What do you need to cast upon Him because He cares for you? I'm not saying you're not angry. When that emotion stirs up, you're like, before you explode, you know, before you spew, or before you stuff it down and stew, both of those are bad, what you do is you bring it to God. And here's what you don't do. You don't take that staff and you don't start hitting the rock and say, I've got this. Vengeance is mine. I'm going to take control of it. You know what you do? You just speak to the rock. Because the rock has already died on the cross for our sins. Grace and mercy flowed. And on that day, when Jesus died on the cross and He says, it is finished, then the, the curtain in the temple that separated the presence of God from the people of God, it was torn from the top to the bottom. And the people of God, like us, regular people like us, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have access to God. And then it gets even better. On the day of Pentecost, for anybody who surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He baptized every single believer in the Holy Spirit, which means dip, dunk, submerge. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You have access to God right here. You don't have to go to some desert and find the right rock. The rock is in you. And you just you don't have to hit it. You don't have to... Take matters into your own hand. You don't have to explode in anger. I know you want to. Me too. But what you do is you just talk to the rock. You know what that means? That means you pray. You know what that means? You have not because you ask not. Oh, but I asked. No, you didn't ask like you really mean it. You take all that aggression. You take all that emotion. You take all that energy. And God says, come on, bring it right here. 
I'm a good dad. I love my kids. I can endure all of that. I can endure all of that. I paid for it in full at the cross. But you are forgiven. You can forgive that you, you, could bring it all to God. That God could make the peace of God that transcends understanding. Guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. But who do you need to forgive? And what do you need to bring? What do you need to bring to God? What do you need to say to the rock that is Jesus Christ that's standing before you saying, come to me. Come to me. All you who are tired and heavy burdened. And he says, take my yoke upon you because I care for you. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. And I will give you rest for your soul. Please stand and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that it is on the solid rock that we stand, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that the rock, God, the rock it has, has borne the load that it was supposed to so that now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the invitation of Jesus, by the love of the Heavenly Father, that God now, as followers of Jesus, we do not have to be ruled by our anger, but you are greater than our anger. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we are just commanded to speak to the rock. And out of, out of the, the reality of the cross and the resurrection, that spiritual drink flows, that grace and mercy and forgiveness flows. So, I, God, I know, I know that at a church this size, God, there are a lot of folks in here that deal with anger that right now, been sinned against, been done wrong. There's a lot of circumstances in their life and it's revealing anger in their heart. Lord, I pray. I pray that people would be real, would come before you, cast their cares upon you because you care for them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> hey, we respond to the gospel. We respond. We're going to join our voices together and sing to the one that's forgiven us, that's worthy of our praise. We're going to respond by bringing our first and best. In, in regards to tithes and offerings, because God first loved us by giving His best in Jesus. And the reason we built these altars is for times like this. There's nothing special, there's nothing magical about being up here, okay? God's just as present in the back row as He is in the front. But there's just something about stepping out from where you are and coming down front and speaking to the rock and casting your cares upon Him and humbling yourself. Do you know why? That's why you kneel at the altar, so you humble yourself before the Lord. And you say, Lord, I don't want to be proud. I don't want to say I got this. I got some emotion going on. And I want to humble myself before you and say, God, I need your help. So let us respond.